Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Trap Point Podcast. This is Jason. And I'm Adam. We are here this week. It is exactly one week since we left the Gallifrey One Convention, commonly known as Galley in Los Angeles. This was the 32nd edition of Galley. It is, to my knowledge, the longest-running, still-operating Doctor Who convention in the United States. I went to my first Galley in 2008 when I was living in Los Angeles, and at that point, it was a rather subdued affair. The new series was a thing. It would have been a couple of weeks before Series 4 started to air, but the attendance was mostly there for the classic series. Doctor Who had not yet blown up in America the way that it would a couple of years later with the Impossible Astronaut. I remember standing in the lobby one night, and I was literally standing next to Stephen Moffat. And of course, this is before he came showrunner, became showrunner and stopped going to cons for a while. I didn't go to Galilee again for another seven years after that. I was supposed to go in 2014, which is back in the day when the cons sold out in about 45 minutes at the height of the Matt Smith era. Uh, I missed 2014 because of a last-minute snowstorm in New York that prevented my plane from taking off, and I ended up not being able to get out there in time. But I went again in 2015, and then with the exception of one year when there was a government shutdown and I didn't want to travel being out of work, and then, of course, last year, the pandemic, I've been to Galley almost every year since 2015. So as far as I can tell, this was my seventh time there, my lucky number seven. Adam, how about you? Which number Galley was this for you? Uh, this was actually my first Galley. Um, I've, I've been hearing about Galley since at least... 2010 when I first got into kind of Dot2 podcasts and podcasters would talk about it and before then I wasn't really I was a Dot2 fan but I wasn't really involved in any kind of Dot2 community so I didn't know anything about it I've been hearing people talk about it for years and I always thought I should go I should go I should go and then last year I turned 40 and my partner uh her her present to me was with tickets to Galley and she came with me and yeah it was it was a spiritual event for me it was fantastic (laughs) That's amazing. So you've been a fan for, I think you said, about 12 years? Oh, no, longer than that. Uh, put it this way, I turned 40 and I first became a fan. Like, I, I properly started buying the VHS when I was about 15. Oh, so, so 25 years. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. a little bit of a gap. A few, a few years before the new series came back where I kind of drifted away from it a bit. But, you know, it's always always been in my heart. Have you been to any cons in the UK before, or was this your first con full stop? Um, let's see. I've done a couple of like the London Comic Con um, days, which which are very different. Um, and when I when I uh, when I was a teenage fan, uh, Longleat used to occasionally do a Dot Two day, and I went along to one there. And at the time, I got my copy of Dot Two: The Eighties signed by Colin Baker and Michael Jason. Uh, but no, this con, this particular sort of con, uh, first time for me. My very first con was 1985. I'll be talking about that in more detail on my solo podcast uh, next week, which will be coming out uh, the first weekend in March, because that was where I got my copy of the Three Doctors novelization, which is the subject of my next episode on Doctor Who literature. Uh, Just to tease that briefly here, it was July 27th, 1985. I was 11 going on 12. and I managed to convince my dad to bring me out for the day. Uh, 
this was in a hotel in Manhattan, uh, Madison Avenue and East 45th Street. I believe the hotel is still there, the Roosevelt Hotel. And the convention took over the hotel. But in the mid-'80s, you didn't have programming quite so regimented as you do now. So I know that Matthew Waterhouse was supposed to be the guest that day, but I never saw a hide nor hair of him. We got there in the late morning, and we primarily hung out either in the dealer's room where I bought you know, a stack of novelizations that I just hadn't seen in the stores before, or we hung out in the hotel lobby watching all the Tom Baker cosplayers walk by, although the word cosplay didn't exist in 1985. And the first real programming they had was a screening of the movie format version of Dalek Invasion of Earth in the early afternoon, which took two and a half hours. I'd never seen a Hartnell story before, so that was my first exposure. And then the U.S. got the syndication package on PBS about six weeks later, so I saw the rest of the Hartnell series. I know later in the same day, they were also going to be showing a movie format of The Seeds of Death, which would have been the first uh, airing that I would have seen of a Trouton, ended up not staying at the hotel that late. And if there was any evening programming or events or Matthew Waterhouse type stuff, we were, we were long gone by then. My dad didn't have the patience to stay there for more than four or five hours for a show that he had no interest in at all. In fact, he left me alone in the screening room where we were, you know, hundreds of us packed in to watch Dalek Invasion of Earth. You would never today leave an 11-year-old alone in a large hotel ballroom surrounded by adults <laughs> watching a two-and-a-half-hour film, but you could do that in 1985. <laughs> and then after that, I went to two conventions in Chicago in the mid-90s when I was in law school, driving over from Ohio, where I was at the time, and that was Visions. Visions went defunct after 98, and I believe it either converted into or some of the same people founded Chicago TARDIS, which is still going strong the same weekend, the Thanksgiving weekend in November, the anniversary weekend. But I haven't been to a Chicago con since 96. I got back into conventions again when Long Island Doctor Who started in 2013. And that's about, depending on traffic, a 60 or a 90-minute drive for me in Brooklyn. So I've been going to L.I. Who every year. So I started going to Galilee again thanks to L.I. Who because it's a lot of the same people who go to each. So I see a lot of the same friends there. And this gives me a chance to go back to L.A., where I haven't lived in about 12 years or so just to go out and see my old friends in Los Angeles and see a larger Doctor Who con. L.I. Who was pretty big, but Galley, I believe, is the great granddaddy of them all because in a non-off year when there's no pandemic, they have like 3,800 attendees plus dozens of guests. So it really is the biggest game in town for American Doctor Who fandom. So your partner surprises you with tickets. What were you expecting when you got there? Uh, I mean... You know, for the longest time, I kept telling myself this might not happen because obviously my birthday was in August and we were very much like, we don't know if we're going to be able, allowed to travel. So I, I I almost didn't allow myself to, to expect anything. I was just going to be happy if we turned up and there was like a small wooden TARDIS and a, a cardboard cutout of McCoy. That would have been like, I'd have been so happy just to see that. <laughs> um, but I... What did I I expect? Um, I mean, I've been hearing I've been hearing people talk about this on podcasts for years, and you know, I've seen occasional video from it and stuff. But I I think I what 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 really took me back, and what was fantastic, one of my favorite things was what I maybe 
I thought maybe uh, in some ways a lot of more fans would just be kind of like there was a wider there was a far wider range of fans than I expected, and that's fantastic. It was just like it was such a mix of people, and I really enjoyed that. I think I expected to see more kind of like my age male fans because that's kind of the the inaccurate and it's always been inaccurate but the stereotype of what a dot two fan is and even though i know it's inaccurate it still lives in the back of your head a bit and this was a real like oh no it it really does have such wide appeal yeah you had little kids cosplaying with their parents you had a good number of senior citizens a lot of teenagers a lot of young people in their 20s cosplaying which was terrific to see and yes, there is a lot of white males in our 40s and 50s, and I'm afraid we fall into that category, but it is by no means 90% white males in their 40s and 50s saying, oh, the show was so much better before they had female doctors. So very little of that. Yeah, it was, um, it, 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 it was, it was great. I mean, and actually that question of diversity you know, did come up in some of the interviews, particularly with uh, like Joe Martin and Amanda Gill and Saskatchewan. It was kind of almost an unofficial theme, I feel, of the, of the, of the convention. And, and it was a celebration, which, which, you know, which is what I was there for and why it was so nice. It was just, there were so many different people and so many different types of opinions, but everyone was just so chilled and so friendly. Um, like we, uh, I remember my partner and I, we sat in the main convention hall for the, uh, the year in review, it was the last day, and they showed the video, and there was one bit where uh, they talk about the pandemic, and my partner got tears, and this le- lady next, who sitting next to us, who, as we sat down, had just offered us some badges, which was really kind. She just produced a tissue out of nowhere and handed it to my partner, as she was crying, and it was just so, everyone was so welcoming, and so nice. I Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. This was a smaller galley than usual, obviously, because of the pandemic and with the Omicron surge, which had daily death tolls in the U.S. that we hadn't seen in 18 months. There was a fear that it was going to not be able to go forward. But fortunately, the numbers in L.A., which is a pro-mask and pro-vaccine city, started to come down long before the numbers in the COVID-denying portions of the United States. So a lot of people ended up not going. I think Sean said on the main group on Facebook that there were about maybe 700 folks who bought tickets but didn't come. But that still left over 2,000 attendees there, which, yes, is not as many as there were in 2013 or during the heyday of Matt Smith years. But that's still an awful lot of people in a hotel. I ended up staying next door at a different hotel just for want of space. But the main ballroom, which is enormous, actually filled up for some of the panels. And there were a lot of fan panels that were pretty crowded. There were always tons of people in the lobby. There was always tons of people in the restaurant. So really really a packed house. So what I want to do is just talk about the con uh, point by point. Talk about the guests, talk about the panels, talk about the add-on experiences, what I want to do is read off a list of all the guests who were there. And these were the big-name guests from the show. Sylvester McCoy, Mandip Gill, Matt Strevens, Joe Martin, Sacha Devon. I've been pronouncing it Sacha Dewan in my head all along, but Matthew Sweet, who was there as one of the interviewers from the Blu-ray range, pronounced it Devon. So I'm going to go with Devon for the rest of this hour. Fraser Hines, who has been at every single convention that I've ever been to since 1997. 
Jonathan Watson, who played many of the Santarans during the Flux season, and he is terrific, by the way. Eric Roberts, so you had two doctors and two masters. Sophia Miles, I was pronouncing it Sophia Miles in my head, but the interviewer on stage called her Sophia Miles, so again, we'll go with that. Tommy Knight and Angelie Mohindra from the Sarah Jane Adventures. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Bhavnisha Parmar. She plays uh, Yaz's sister in the new series. Michael Jaston, who has been at Galley before. Steve Gallagher. India Fisher, who I gather is from Big Finish. Sadie Miller and Christopher Naylor, who are Sarah and Harry in Big Finish. Sadie, of course, is Liz Sladen's daughter. Lauren Cornelius, who's also from the Big Finish stable. Clem So, who is an extra in uh, the, some of the James Bond movies and Doctor Who. Mickey Lewis, who is a Doctor Who novelist turned uh, background actor slash monster. John Davey, Colin Spall, Chase Masterson. They also had several guests from other properties for signing only, such as Andrew Robinson from Star Trek and Eliza Roberts, Eric Roberts' wife, who actually played Bruce's wife, killed by the master in the 1996 TV movie. Uh, there's also Joe Osmond, Robert Mukes, and Eli Jane, who I confess I haven't heard of, and Susanna Malak, who plays many alien species on The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. I saw her at one of the guest receptions. And then there were many, many, many other uh, additional guests who don't get their photo in the program book, but they are associated with the series or uh, writers, Emily Cook from DWM, Paul Cornell, uh, Martin Garrity, who's an illustrator, uh, Jason Hayellery from Big Finish, Jody Hauser, who does the um, comic books, David J. Howe, who recently wrote the definitive guide to the new adventures. He's been around conventions for a long time. And his wife, Samantha Howe, who's a writer. Christopher Jones, Tony Lee, Lisa McMullen. Many, many other guests that I didn't get to meet. John Peel, who's uh, been on Trap 1 before. I was on a panel with him. Several other animators, several other Star Trek adjacent people or scientists. There is a science track at Galley. They put on nonfiction science programming. Gary Russell, and of course, as I said earlier, Matthew Sweet. So we could just spend a whole hour just talking about each guest individually. We're not going to do that. But the way Gallifrey works is there are five program tracks. The main track is in the convention ballroom. That primarily is dedicated to one-on-one -on -one interviews with the guests, and occasionally there are group interviews on top of that. They also screen episodes with live commentary from some of the participants. So, for example, on Saturday morning, Jonathan Watson, the Santaran, did live commentary for episode two of Flux, War of the Santarans. Very, very entertaining commentary. And I had to leave that early to get to one of my special events, but I wish I could have stayed for the whole thing. It's a great episode, and he had great insight talking about uh, the filming of that and... COVID protocols and what he knows about Santarans and what went into his characters, all that sort of good stuff. So for you, Adam, who were the big guest draws for you? Well, I mean, fairly obviously Sylvester McCoy, because I've never seen him at a convention, though I've heard about it. And he, you know, in no way did he disappoint. He was, he's a, he is anarchy <laughs> embodied, <laughs> but entertaining anarchy. Um, I was... 
Eric Roberts, actually, I was really curious to see because I've always been very fond of his his performance. Uh, Joe Martin. Joe Martin was a big uh, draw as well. Um, Bonnie Langford was supposed to turn up, but she didn't, which is a shame, as I'd, I'd like to have seen Bonnie. Right, um, right. Sasha Dewan, um Mandit Gill as well were both people I was I was very curious to see. Um, just going through the, the guests and see, see, see actually what who I did see and who I didn't. But... Um, can I just say, actually, the most entertaining guest for me was Rob Ritchie on a, on a fan panel on the Sunday morning being utterly hungover <laughs> and <laughs> demanding that the lights get turned down. Um, yeah, Fraser Fraser Hines, yeah, was very entertaining. Um, Michael Jason, I didn't actually see. Uh, but no, I saw him one thing. I didn't see any interviews with him, but I've seen him stuff before and he's always, always good. But yeah, I think I think the big pools for me were Sylvester and Joe with the Doctors. So for me, the big draws were actually the new series guests. So Mandip Gill is a huge acquisition. Joe Martin is huge. Sacha Devon is huge because they're all so good mm. on the new series. Now, I have obviously had my share of nuanced criticism of Chris Chibnall's writing and storytelling style on this podcast. And that was reflected most recently, I think, when I hosted um, episode four of The Flux, The Village of the Angels, which I didn't like quite as much as everyone else. Setting aside my personal feelings about Chibnall's writing, you really have to stand up and salute what he has done for the show in terms of casting. Because I think it was one of the Saturday afternoon panels. You have Joe Martin and Sacha Devon and Mandip Gill all sitting on the same sofa all actors of color, for want of a better expression, all with major roles, a doctor, a master, and a companion, considering how non-ethnically diverse Doctor Who was up until 2018, it is amazing that we have the trifecta, a doctor, a master, and a companion, all of, again, for want of a better phrase, international descent. And I don't know if we get that without Chris Chibnall as showrunner. So just to see the three of them all together and all with such prominent roles on the show, and they're all so, so good. It's an amazing thing to watch, and it's one of the huge selling points of Doctor Who right now. And then getting them all at the same convention, you know, how much better is that? Oh, yeah, I mean, that was fantastic. And they were obviously all really enjoying it. I mean, it was Joe Martin's first convention. Um, I feel well, Amanda Gill said it kind of was her first or at least her first fan run convention. Um, she's been, to, she's done, you know, some of the announcements at like uh, Comic Con and stuff. But this was this was different. Um, and Sasha, has Sasha Dewan been for? Because he's obviously he he and he he's, he was in the adventure in space and time, and he actually did a commentary on it as well that I was at. That was very good. Um, but yeah, they were just obviously genuinely enjoying it, and they said that people's reactions to them were were so fantastic. And they just all, they all interview. I didn't see Mandip Gill's main interview because I was, I was at a panel, but I caught her, I caught Sasha Dewan's and I caught, uh, and I caught, um, Joe Martin's. And I saw them at the Team Tardis panel, which is, I think, an uh, interview which is what you're referring. And they were just, honestly, it could have just watched them talk for hours. They were so passionate about the show, so passionate about what they do. And just, they just seemed to be having such fun. I think, and that's, it wasn't like a dry publicity interview. They were, they were just, enjoying it which i think makes a huge difference 
that's the difference between a fan-run con like this, where Sean does all the programming and is intimately involved in every aspect, being the, the public face of the convention, versus Comic-Con. I was at, my only Comic-Con was the New York Comic-Con right before the pandemic, 2019. And that's in the Javits Center, which is a, an enormous convention space on the west side of Manhattan, where I took the bar exam to become an attorney, by the way, and I had palpitations going back into that room, which was repurposed into Artist Alley. But Comic-Con is enormous. You have tens of thousands of fans showing up. Uh, the dealer's space, the dealer's exhibition space goes on for several rooms. If you make a wrong turn, you are caught up in a scrum of humanity, and you'll never get turned back around. And then there's Artist Alley on the ground floor, which, you know, just has artists at tables stretching away as far as the eye could see. And then you have these heavily regimented panels where you're waiting online on a cattle call. You're not guaranteed to get in. And then you're sitting all the way back, and the panelists are on stage with a moderator. And it's very difficult to get any sort of access to the guests. Now, I was able to speak to Jody Hauser one-on-one at New York Comic Con 2019, and I got her to autograph one of her Star Wars comics for my kid, who's a big Star Wars fan. But other than that, you're not going to be getting up close and personal with Amanda Gill or uh, a Joe Martin at a Comic Con. You go to the autograph table, you'll have 10 seconds, they'll sign your thing, you move on, that's it. A galley, because it's smaller, you have so much more opportunity to meet these guests and talk to them at the autograph line or in the photo room. Or you can do one of the add-ons, which we'll talk about shortly. And I had a very positive experience with the add-ons. My regret is because of the fan programming, there was always seven or eight different things to do at once. And I didn't get to go to Joe Martin's individual panel. I was having lunch with an old friend who I didn't know was going to be there. And that ended up taking two and a half hours. So that took precedence over the, the Joe Martin panel, unfortunately, which was late on the Sunday afternoon. And I missed the Mandip Gill panel for the same reason. Although the Team TARDIS panel was amazing because you, of course, have everybody together all at once. What was neat for me is that on Saturday morning, you had Sacha Devon and Eric Roberts do back-to-back panels on the main stage. So the two masters back-to-back. Adam, do you want to talk a little bit about what different approaches those two gentlemen took to uh, playing the master and giving (laughs) interviews? Yes, I mean, I think I did tweet about it at the time. It was my favorite contrast. Um, they were both great, in, but very different. Uh, yeah, Sasha came on, he was, he was really sincere and talking about, you know, he was fun, but he was talking very seriously about how do you portray this character? You know, what motivates them? And he talked about, you know, trying to portray the pain of the master and how the master is a master of disguise because he doesn't really want to be himself and all these kind of, you know, he's obviously really thought about the role and really applied that. Eric Crawford. Well, just to give you an idea, Ken Deep, who was going to interview him, comes on and he starts doing the fairly standard, you know, this is obviously going to be an introduction. Eric Roberts just wanders on before he's gotten two sentences <laughs> out in a kind of, um, yeah, I'm Eric Roberts. Who am I going to wait for? Um, and then he, you know, he sits down and he's, you know, he is engaged, but he's asked, you know, are you recognised for Doctor Who? And he goes, no. And they go, oh, what role are you recognised for? And he goes, I'm recognised for being Eric Roberts, which is completely fair because he's done so much. And, you know, Doctor Who was is very, very brief in his career. But then, you know, Ken Deep is, is basically asking, you know, what, what motivated you about the character? And I'm, I'm not going to quote exactly, but essentially he said, well, I wanted to scare five-year-olds and they let me. And then he, later on he was like, 
and he said about it later, and he went, "There's nothing to the character. There's nothing on the page. He's just a bad mofo." <laughs> <laughs> it was basically this in between advice about stretching, which my partner's taken on board, and now when she stretches, she calls it doing an Eric Roberts. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was. I mean, don't. I, I am not in any way having an Eric Roberts. It was exactly what I would want from an Eric Roberts interview, to be honest. But it was just the sheer contrast and approaches that just cracked me up so much. He is also an uh, an agent of chaos. You never know what you're going to get with him. But what interested me the most about Eric Roberts, at least during that um, main stage interview on the Saturday morning, the second day of the con, he had lived in London. I think in the late 70s or early 80s when he was just starting out. And he used to watch Doctor Who when he was living over there. So he was familiar with the show. So he probably would have seen, uh, you know, I guess the Anthony Ainley master. And he said that... Yeah, and once you realize that, that explains a lot. It influenced the way that he wanted to play the role. He wanted to play the role in a realistic sense with a master who was very human with some disgusting habits. And like you say, he scared the five-year-olds. And he certainly left an indelible impression as the, the Eric Roberts master in the TV movie. And I understand he's now doing more for Big Finish, although my fandom does not extend too deep into the, into the Big Finish work. So I don't know what kind of work he's doing there. No, he's, he's done – he had an appearance on a River Song box set, which, I, again, I don't normally buy uh, a lot of Big Finish, but I picked up the River Song box set because it was actually Michelle Gomez's first – doing Missy for the first time. I was like, I want to hear that. And I do actually really want to hear Eric Roberts. And he's done a box set for them as well. And actually, I haven't heard his, his individual box set, but what really struck me about his big finish performance was how restrained it was. Like, he, I thought it was going to be completely over the top, but he actually really bought it in. It was it was, it was, better. It was actually a really good performance. It was, and I believe people have said the same thing about the box set. He's quite, he's not, I'll, I always dress for the occasion at 110% or anything. It's very much, it, it's a more subtle performance. So, I may have to check that out. That's a, that's amazing. So let's talk then about some of the other guests that you may or may not have gotten a chance to see. So there was a Sarah Jane reunion panel because you had Tommy, Tommy Knight and Angelina Mohindra and Sadie Miller. Unfortunately, I had to miss that as well. But what I did do is they have this feature at Galley called the Coffee Clutch, and it's free. And obviously the big, big, big ticket guests don't do them, but all the other guests do. You're in a conference room on the ground floor level, and it's eight or ten attendees sign up at a time, first come, first served. The sign-up is online, and I was able to get into two, fortunately, this year. So you're sitting in a conference room around a small conference table with the one guest, or in some cases two guests, and you're just having a one-on-one chat for 45 minutes to an hour. So the first one I did was with Steve Gallagher, who wrote Warrior's Gate and Terminus, and under a pen name, the novelization for each. And he had terrific recall about scripts that he wrote over 40 years ago. And he was talking about his experience working for Christopher H. Bidmead as his first script editor versus working for Eric Sayward, who it appears later bounced him off the program. So he was talking one-on-one, very direct. He is still involved with the show, doing spin-off material for Cutaway Comics. He's had a very successful producing career in the UK and also in the States. So it was, it was the first time that I've ever seen him at a con. He, you know, Warrior's Gate is one of my favorite stories, as my cat walks over the keyboard uh, saying hi. <laughs> so I really enjoyed my time with Steve Gallagher, but even better than that, the next day... I signed up for a coffee clutch with Sadie Miller 
and Christopher Naylor. So they are Sarah and Harry in Big Finish. And of course, Sadie is second generation Sarah Jane. So it was the two of them, eight of us around the conference table. And they were so generous and so friendly. They were asking questions of us. We were asking questions of them. They were talking a lot about their experiences in terms of you know watching the show and acting in the stories. Because what fascinates me is a lot of the work that they're doing for Big Finish is they're doing rough draft productions of stories that the original characters were in. So they're producing for Big Finish the original draft of The Ark in Space, the original draft of Genesis of the Daleks, the original draft of Revenge of the Cybermen. So the first three stories they're doing as the new Sarah and Harry are stories that we've already seen Sarah and Harry in. So my question is, how do you prepare for your acting for a performance that's already been done? And do you copy out line readings that are you know, almost identical from the draft script to the, to the finished product? And they gave really thoughtful and nuanced answers to that. And they are just so delightful. I wish that panel or that coffee clutch had gone on for two hours. I'm very motivated now to get more Big Finish just to hear their work because getting to be in the same room with them was just a wonderfully positive experience. Did you get to go to any of the coffee clutches? No, no. I stuck mainly to the uh, to the interviews and the panels. I mean, like I said, there is so much going on um, that I basically just... Those were things that I decided I wanted to do the most. I think maybe next time I go to Galley, which <laughs> won't be next year because, you know, cost... Um, but definitely will be at some point in the future. I might, I'm going to look at doing some of those then, but no, I like I said, I was, uh, interviews and panels. Something else that Galley offers are optional for an extra fee add-ons to get one-on-one FaceTime with the guests. So there's autographs and there's photo ops. Again, it's bad enough seeing my face in the mirror. I don't need to see my face on a glossy photograph cluttering up the beauty of Mandib Gill. So I don't go for the photos and autographs. You know, what am I going to do with an autograph at my age? So I didn't do those, but what I did were the add-ons in terms of the guest reception and in terms of the VIP script reading, the latter of which I believe is new to Galley this year. So the way the reception works is you have an hour in one of the ballrooms, either on Friday evening or Saturday evening. And it's eight or nine guests. And when you get there, you're sat at a small table with other attendees. And then it's kind of like speed dating. You get one of the guests coming to your table for five or six minutes to talk to the guests, to talk to the fans one-on-one, and then rotate around. So there's... It ended up being nine tables and nine guests at the Friday night reception. And of course, some of the guests I hadn't heard of, and some of them didn't introduce themselves, so I had to figure them out on the fly. But my reception <laughs> so my reception was Sacha Devon, Eric Roberts, Jonathan Watson, Tommy Knight, Angelie Mohendra, Dominic Keating, who was on Star Trek Enterprise, Andrew Robinson, who I think was on one of the other Star Treks, and Clem So, who's been uh, an extra in Doctor Who and James Bond. Clem So is very, very uh, distinctive with a long silver ponytail, very hard to miss. I had actually recognized him from a couple of the Bond movies uh, before I even saw him on Doctor Who. So my questions for him were all about James Bond. Uh, Sorry about that, Doctor Who. And then Susanna Malak, who was not listed as being in the reception, was added on. And she, of course, uh, plays... uh, 
various uh, creatures on uh, Boba Fett and the Mandalorian, such as Jawas and other of the um, monsters of a smaller stature. So you have nine guests talking to you in a little under an hour. You've got five or six minutes with each. You've got five or six people sat at a table. So you really have to get your questions ready to go, and you have to make the most of this limited time that you have with some of these really great performers. Uh, not every interaction is going to be positive, uh, so I'll just talk about the positive ones. Sacha Devon is incredible. So he comes to the table, high energy, and he asks us, what do you think is going to happen in Jodie Whittaker's last episode? Now, I've mentioned my theory on Trap 1 before, and I'm going to mention it again now. We are recording this on Sunday, February 27th, because in case my theory ends up being right, I want to be able to prove that I had the theory before the episode aired. <laughs> my theory is that it's going to be a two-doctor episode because you have Joe Martin. She's been in three episodes, but she hasn't really had an episode to herself. You have to wonder if she's coming back after Chibnall's off the show. So you're going to want to have an episode that is Joe Martin-centric, not really counting her small, small part in Once Upon Time, which was Chapter 3 of Flux. So you have to assume this is going to be a Joe Martin-heavy episode, and of course it's Jody, so she's going to be in it too. My guess is the two of them are either going to team up or in separate time zones they're going to be fighting the same villain or bad guy. And you have to assume that's going to be Sancho Devon because I am sure we have not seen the last of him yet. And in the course of the episode, they are both doctors are going to die and both doctors are going to regenerate. So we'll see. This is my theory. I have no way of knowing if it's true. We're going to see the Joe Martin doctor regenerate into David Bradley, a.k.a. the William Hartnell doctor. And then we'll see Jodie Whittaker regenerate into whoever the 14th doctor is going to be. And Sancho was very, very taken with my idea, and he gave me a, a toast with, with, with his wine glass. And then he asks us, can you picture me as the 14th Doctor? And all of us around the table are, hell yeah. So, obviously he's not able to tell us anything, but if Jody defeats the Sacha Devon Master and then regenerates into Sacha Devon, my life will be complete. There's nothing more you could ask out of <laughs> Doctor Who than that. And then Anjali Mohindra, who was both in Sarah Jane for uh, the last four years and was in, the, she played a space spider in Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. She is Sacha Devon's partner. They did a Behind the Sofa together on, I think, the Series 8, classic series Blu-ray. She is amazing, too. Just so nice, so sweet. Eric Roberts, he was the only one of the guests who asked the name and the occupation of Everybody at the table really made a concerted effort to get to know us one-on-one, -on -one, to find out what we did for a living. I really appreciated that. And for a man who's 65 years old, he is in incredible shape. He does not have an ounce of body fat on him. So that stretching he does twice a day. <laughs> Same with Dominic Keating from Star Trek Enterprise. He was also in an early Buffy episode. He didn't introduce himself, and he wasn't wearing a name tag, so it took me a couple of minutes to figure out who he was, but again, his physique is incredible. I mean, he was wearing, like, you know, a child's medium T-shirt, and it was form-fitting. <laughs> wow, <laughs> this guy is cut. Um, Tommy Knight, very high energy, also from Sarah Jane. It was nice asking him what it was like to work with Liz Slayton. Jonathan Watson is so charming. 
So he has a 22-year-old son who's a Doctor Who fan, and when he comes home and announces that he's playing a Santara, and his son just went nuts with joy and excitement. So that was really sweet. And he was the principal Santara and villain in Flux, so it was really nice getting to see him. Clemso had a lot of really good stories to tell about being in the James Bond movies, and Susanna Malak, if I'm pronouncing her name right, had some really funny stories about being on set for the various Star Wars series, which were filmed out in Southern California. So she lives... I think the next county over from LA. So really on the, for the, on the whole, mostly positive experiences and it goes by so fast, but I'm going to have these lifetime memories of some of these guests and getting to interact with Sacha and Angeli and Eric Roberts. Like when I was, the only other time that I did a guest reception at Galley was about four or five years ago when I went to a Katie Manning reception, which was, you know, one of the greatest things that will ever happen to you is meeting Katie Manning. So this was, this was just about as positive an experience. Did you get a chance to talk to any of, of the guests, uh, you know, in the hotel lobby and LobbyCon or uh, after panels or anything like that? Sadly not. I mean, I didn't really do as much LobbyCon as I would have liked for one very simple reason, which was being highly jet-lagged. <laughs> and th- this is now my... If you're going from the UK to Galley and it's your first time, we we flew in and we got there on the Thursday... Next time, fly in and get there on the Wednesday and give yourself a bit more time to recover because it will suddenly, like I, six o'clock on the Saturday after um, the adventure in space and time uh, commentary, I crashed spectacularly and had to go back <laughs> to the hotel for a bit. Um, and so, and so no, I, I didn't. I mean, but you just see, I mean, the couple times my partner was sitting in the lobby and we, you know, you do just see like, Oh look, there's Sylvester McCoy, and there's there, 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 at the bar. And oh, though my tip, though, if you ever want to discuss, find with Michael Jason, is just go to the the smoking area because he will. Every time I went past the smoking area, he was always there. I don't think he had to pay for cigarettes or anything the entire time he was at Galley, but you can always find Michael Jason in the smoking area. But no, it's sad that I didn't get to do that, and. I think I, I mean I hope you know when well uh, you know I keep saying this when when I do go back eventually I would maybe like like to do one of these and and and, and have that experience, but it was just you know I also a little bit nervous at the idea of just going up and going, you know hello I yes you know, I go up to McCoy and hello you kind of changed my life and I do a podcast about you can I touch your face it's you know <laughs> I, I I get very like aware that they have to people have to deal with this all the time but uh, but you know every I, I saw plenty of people go up to guests and talk to them and everyone always seems so friendly you know it's it was, it was just it was just it was such a relaxed atmosphere I think that's what I realized. For the most part, the guests want to talk to their fans and, and they want to learn about who's watching them on the other side of the television. I mean, I had a great experience talking to Julian Glover at uh, LobbyCon at Galley probably four or five years ago, for example. I mean, I do actually regret not going up and, say, uh, and talking to Stephen Gallagher because I was recently been watching Bugs, which has turned up in Brickbox. It was a series he did in the 90s that I grew up on as a teen and as a teenage sci-fi fan. It was like one of the few British sci-fi shows that were going at the time, and he was heavily involved in that. And I didn't realize that until years later, so I would really like to go on and watch Bugs, and it actually really holds up. So... Never mind. I think Bugs also featured writing from Colin Brake, who wrote a couple of Doctor Who novels in the early 2000s. Yes, it does. That's that's where I know the name from, because that name keeps popping up the credits, and I keep going, I know that, of course. Yes, of course he wrote a couple of some of the novels, didn't he? Yep. Okay, that's one mystery solved. 
then, then but I'll have you talk about the panels, but I want to just talk quickly about the VIP script reading. I don't think they've done these before, but what it is is that you have a small number of attendees sign up, and you go upstairs, who's higher up in the hotel, in one of the, um, what's the word for it? It's kind of like a, a lounge slash reception area on the 16th floor. So Joe Martin did one. Some of the other artists did one. I signed up for the Mandip Gill one. Ended up being 25 of us in a room. I was imagining just her and me sitting around a table trading lines from a script. But there's 25 of us, so you don't get to talk to them face to face. But they produce a script. In this case, we got the script for Eve of the Daleks. And it was autographed by Amanda with a heart. So as far as I'm concerned, that was for me personally. Mm-hmm. One of the people from Showmasters, which is one of the agencies that helps supply guests for Galley, was there sort of as an MC. So he's reading the stage directions in the script, and he's calling on audience members to play a part. So he'll pick a scene, and Amanda would either play Yaz, or on certain scenes she would play the doctor, or she would play Dan. And then all the other parts in the scene were played by people in the audience. And they want you to hang up your performance and have fun with it. And, you know, Mandip as an actress is giving very interesting readings, uh, different interpretations of the lines of what she gave on television, which was fascinating to play off of. So I knew that I wanted to play a Dalek. I am not good with accents. There was not a chance that I'd be able to handle playing John Bishop. But I know that I can do a Dalek. Because I've been playing a Dalek for my kid for 11 years now, so I know how to exterminate somebody. (laughs) So I just hammed it up playing the Dalek for the scene. And got a few laughs out of the audience, and I ad-libbed a little bit, you know. I am not Nick. And then I got to exterminate Mandip Gill, which was going to be a career highlight. She really enjoyed that. And that was just a wonderful experience, and I'm definitely going to be doing that again with different guests at the next few galleys, assuming they, assuming they keep that going. Yeah, I think I heard that Sylvester McCoy did a reading of Time and the Rani, which I, that is one thing I regret not being there for. Oh, I, um, done I, that. I think I do a fantastic Kate O'Mara, but you know. I want to hear him say, I'll smash it to pieces, the way that he did at Time and the Rani. <laughs> oh, and if Bonnie Langford had been there too, I'm sure she would have done one. That would have been a lot of fun. But Bonnie, of course, had to scratch because of COVID. I do want to give a shout-out to Conrad, who was one of the regular hosts on Trap One, also a big Finnish artist. He was supposed to be there. He was also a late scratch. I was looking forward to meeting him in person, but unfortunately, he couldn't be there. Hopefully, he'll be back for Galley 2023, which will be the 33rd edition of Galley. We miss you, Conrad. So, um, Adam, tell us a little bit about the fan panels that you saw or that, or that you were on and what value that added for you to the con. Uh, I mean, I wasn't on any, but... I, I did attend a couple. Uh, I'm just checking. I like I've got my schedule here, so I can double check what I actually did. So I did. I attended the New Adventures panel, which uh, you were on the the panel for that, and that that was really interesting, um, especially because it had Guy Russell and John Peel on. Who uh, people don't tend to talk to them too much about the New Adventures, or they don't talk to, about them in terms of the New Adventures. It tends to be more when people talk about New Adventures, it's more Paul Cornell, Kate Orman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's really interesting to hear them, and particularly how it started and why they were like they were, which was essentially no one at the BBC was paying any attention. And yeah, you know, they, they did a big shout out to, to the editors of the range as well. And and that was, that was, that was really interesting. And uh, so a couple of people got given free books. And I think one of them was uh time word and apocalypse, which I haven't actually read. So I regret not, uh, not grabbing one of those. 
Uh, I also uh, won the <laughs> fan panel. I, well, I, I'm putting it under this category. Uh, I saw the Cornell Collective on Friday night, which um, featured some sex jokes about Dot Two that I'm certainly not repeating on this. And also one joke about Peter R. Newman that I am going to hell for, for laughing at. Um, that was, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a panel where everyone has so obviously been pissed, uh, highly drunk, let's say, <laughs> uh, allegedly. I just want to jump in and say that John Peel has been on Trap One in the summer of 2021 talking about his experience writing Time Worm Genesis. Oh, yeah. He loves talking about his experience. And Gary Russell had some great stories on that panel. He was very entertaining. He submitted his pitch for the book that became Legacy, and he never heard back from them. And then two years later, he's at an event with Peter Darvel Evans, who was the editor of The Line, and Peter made some reference to having commissioned Gary, who then never turned into a book. And Gary's like, what? And it turns out they commissioned him and then never told him about it. So he ended up managing to get the book on in the summer of 94, but it should have come out much earlier than that to hear Gary tell it. And then David J. Howe was on the same panel because he wrote the recent glossy hardcover book giving the history of the NAs and showing all the cover art and all the draft sketches. David is also very entertaining. He's at Galley every year. Um, but the best uh, fan panel I saw, I think, was the uh, Something Old, Something New, which was uh, Matthew Sweet, uh, Lisa McMillan, Rob Ritchie, and Ben Padden uh, talking about... Um, RCD coming back and what that might bring and what that might look like um, and it, it was good I, I really enjoyed it because it was people throwing out like wild fan theories but it, and, and, and like oh would it be great if it was this but it was also tempered by having people on the panel who really understood how TV is made and what that involves it was so it wasn't just like and then Rose will come back and then Jack will fly through a window and then blah blah blah, blah, blah. it was them going yes but actually he's going to want to appeal to new people or he's going to want to do this or the actors might not want to come back and I, I it was a really intelligent really thoughtful discussion um, and because there were people like I want all this to come back and there was other people a bit more like me who were like actually it would be good to have a slightly cleaner slate and not rely too much on what's gone before and it, it was just it was well moderated and it was it was everyone had something interesting to say Except Robert Ritchie, who was so hungover that he just asked for the lights <laughs> to be lowered. But but that 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 was definitely my, my favourite. I also a fun one about the master. Um, that 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 was uh, just some fans basically just chatting about the character and his history and who people, you know, any what sort of master people liked, where they thought think the character might go and stuff. And, and that was good. I mean, the fan panels I did I did I would you know again it's one of those things I, I've. There's so much going on. The others that I had down that I might, that I was like, oh, I might hope to go to that. But then you get to the point where after your first day, you're like, oh, I need to take time for lunch. I need to take time to have breaks. I need to, you know, because there's so much going on. Yeah, I was in a similar boat to you in terms of jet lag. I had not planned my work schedule very well around Galley. So I flew out Thursday afternoon, got to my hotel, Ran over to the Marriott, checked in, went to the ice cream reception on opening night, talked to some friends that I didn't know were going to be there. You're going all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then because I used to live in L.A. and I have friends in the area, I was off campus on Saturday and Sunday nights. And then, of course, I had a red-eye flight coming home on Sunday back to New York. So the first thing I do when I get home at 10 o'clock in the morning on, on Monday is go right to bed and stay there for the next four and a half hours. So, yeah. 
You really need to have a day before galley and a day after galley to get the most out of it. And you need to spend as much time in the hotel as possible because if you're off campus, you're going to miss a lot of those LobbyCon interactions. Another panel that I sat in the audience for and watched that I enjoyed was the Blu-ray panel moderated by Matthew Sweet. Rob Ritchie was on that panel too, although he was uh, not inebriated at that point, so he was very cogent and contributory. And they were talking about the, uh, you know, the past of the Blu-rays, the future, the extra features. Matthew Sweet, of course, is heavily involved in the Blu-rays, doing the long-form interviews on each disc. I love the Blu-rays, and it takes me you know, weeks to get through all the special features. So it was really nice to see the people who make those and hear how much passion they have for the project. So I didn't get to a lot of panels on Saturday or Sunday. Um, did you go to any of the live episode commentaries? I know you said you did Adventure in Space and Time, right? Yes, that was the uh, only one we did. Um, but it was it was great because it was also uh, it was Saturday one. It was it was Matt Strevens. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Strevens as well, who yeah is well has just left as the executive producer on the Chibnall era, but also produced that. And he he was actually we haven't really mentioned it, but he was a very good in, uh, did some good interviewing as well and um, c- quite insightful stuff. Maybe more insightful on some things than he realised, but um, it was. It, it, and that that was a great panel. I mean, it was it was an interesting one for me because I haven't seen Adventure in Space and Time, and not to get too real here, um, since my mother had got an Alzheimer's uh, diagnosis. So some of that hit really hard <laughs> this time of watching it. Um, but it was, it, yeah, it was great. Like like they were both very entertaining and both, both full of insights. Um, and also things like talking about you know how Mark Gatiss obviously had certain people in mind, like he'd always had David Bradley in mind. Uh, I obviously had seemed to have had Sasha Duan in mind as well. And I know that, that was really insightful. And I was sorry not to see World of the Centaurans, but that was quite early. And I think I was probably sleeping in at the time. So, One thing I used to enjoy when I was going to Visions in Chicago in the 90s was the video room. Because then they were showing episodes from the series that you might not have had on VHS yet. Obviously, there were no DVDs back then. And they also showed reconstructions of the missing episodes. So if I wanted to see something like, you know, Wheel in Space or Fury from the Deep, that was the only way to see it at a convention in the 1990s. Galley still has a video room running around the clock, but that's also an option if you don't have a collection of the show at home or you're not on the streaming services or if they're showing a story that you haven't seen in a very long time. Having the video room is also a nice option. Yeah, it's also a really nice place to chill out because I um, was killing some time. Like I said I had a bit of a crash on the on the on the, uh, fr- on the uh, was it Friday Friday night. Went back to the hotel, had something to eat, and my partner stayed at the hotel. And I came back. I wanted to see the Cornell Collective that I mentioned earlier, and I had I got there quite back quite early, and I just went into the video room and watched some. It was ooh, last twenty minutes of Revelation of the Daleks, and it was just nice to be able to chill in a room that was showing Doctor Who. You know, so it's it's always if you do need to kind of decompress a bit, I think it's quite a nice place to go. Just it's quite chilled. And most of my Doctor Who watching over the years has been solitary, so it's nice to sit with other fans and watch and experience the show and see how other people react to it. We haven't talked about the dealers room, but the dealers room is always a big draw for me because there's always holes in my collection, either you know new or missing adventures that I lost over the years. And most of my novelizations are from the 1980s, so they have the reprint covers. 
I like to upgrade by getting one of the older original covers when I can. So my friend Dale Santos, who has one of the big tables and has a huge private collection of Target artwork, he had the first edition of the Terror of the Autons novelization, which has a much more interesting cover than the 1980s reprint. So I bought that. Had I gotten to the table an hour earlier, I could have gotten the original cover of, I think, The Green Death, but that was already sold out. So it was, it was nice to go fill in some of the holes in my collection and see what books are for sale. And you can also buy an arrangement of you know, T-shirts or action figures. And the photo signing tables are also in the dealer's room. So it's fun to have a few walks through that as well on each day. Did you get a chance to uh, purchase anything in the dealer's room? Oh, yes. Um, that, <laughs> that was always going to be one of my goals. Yeah, I mean, I'll say one thing. They... I mean, there were different tables, uh, and everyone was charging slightly differently. But a lot of tables that had New Adventures and Eighth Doctor Adventures on were so much cheaper to buy than they are in this country. Like I would pick up, you know, like four dollars, five dollars kind of stuff, which is cheap. It was cheap, cheap for me. I mean, obviously, some of the more, you know, they some of the rare ones were more expensive, and that that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, I had a fantastic. I could have spent so much more. I had to. I restrained myself. I think I got about eight books in the end. And I just was like, okay, oh, wow, that's it. That's that's enough. Because my partner was like, you know, we've got to take this off back. You know, it's got to fit in the luggage and not take us over the limit. <laughs> so I was like, oh. right, right. Um, but no, it was great. I loved the dealers' room. There's there's a quite a variety of stuff there. You have people just saying jewelry as well and cosplay bits and 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 yeah, like I said, action figures and scarves and all sorts of. All sorts of things, and so badge a lot of badges, a lot of badges. Um, so yeah, it's definitely. I had a lot of fun in the dealers' room. One of my highlights. Yeah, I mean, it is. You know, you're paying for airfare and the convention and the hotel. So I try not to overdo it in the dealers' room. But this goes back to when I was a kid. When I am confronted with a whole table full of every novelization, I have the urge to just buy as many as I can because mm-hmm. I don't know when I'll ever see them again. And at this point, I've already bought them all. With the possible exception of I don't know if I have Harry Sullivan's War. I was looking for my copy earlier and I couldn't find it, but I have them all. So what I'm doing now is buying duplicates to upgrade my collection to the original covers. But even then, it's nice to look at the tables and hunt around and see what people have. So we've talked about the panels and the guest interviews and the add-ons and uh, the video room and the dealer's room. Anything else positive about your galley experience? People you got to meet that you were looking forward to meeting or anything else? Yeah, I mean, it was like I caught up with a, a few people that, you know, I've talked to on Twitter and it was lovely to meet face to face as well. Uh, there were more people that I kind of knew that I wanted to say hello to, but either I just saw them at a distance and get, because it's so crowded, you don't always get a chance. You don't like run across the, the terrified people who are running at them. And like I said, just occasionally just sheer tiredness got the better of me. But I mean, I didn't. There, I don't have a single negative thing to... Ooh, actually, no, there's one negative thing, but it's nothing to do with galley. It's to, it's to do with... I'm just going to say hotels in Los, An- in Los Angeles do not know how to do vegan options. Um, we were a bit surprised when the, the vegan burger at Starbucks had uh, cheese and egg in it, uh, which was a bit, of a, <laughs> a bit of a stunning shock. This isn't anything to do with galley. Wow. This is just something my partner and I found that, you know, it wasn't quite... We, we survived. We survived. Um, it's a lot of impossible burgers. Uh, but no, it was, it was just, it was, it was fantastic. I'm trying to think if there's any one other thing that I like. It's just, everyone was just so friendly. You ended up, you know, striking up brief conversations with other people. You uh, tell people how good the cosplay was. And, and there was a lot of, uh, the Meeping Angels were great. Um, 
I, I love the Meeping Angels. Um, but no, it was just... Uh, it was just, oh, a shout out to whoever just basically made a cardboard cutout of a nice warrior and wore that, which was the cheapest cosplay I've ever seen, but I admired it. Just to make sure that I heard you correctly for the benefit of the audience, did you say Meeping Angel? Meeping, yes. Um, you can find, if you look up Meeping Angel on Twitter, uh, I think you'll find pictures of them. Um, there were like a whole group of Weeping Angels, who I think it all turned up together, but they all had like, oh, what's the, is it Beaker from The Muppet Show? Um, yes, speaker who says meep meep. Yes, meep meep. meep. They had those heads um, as well, which was fantastic. I mean, it was just—I I said it at the beginning of this, but it was—it was all spiritual. It was such a positive experience for me. It really, yeah, it just really made me appreciate that. You know, it's very easy. Would would it took me a long time to really get into any kind of fandom. I was a Doctor Who fan on my own for a long time, for years, if I'm being honest. Um, and then by podcasting, I started to find a little community. Um, it was, you know, since 2010 on and off, but going, but it's very easy sometimes, particularly as a lot of fans' main form of communication is Twitter. It's very easy sometimes to just see the, the, let's be honest, stupid Twitter spats that people have and the, and, and the, the less pleasant side of that and just be like, oh, that's fandom. And you go, you go to something like Ali and you're like, no, this is fandom. All these different sorts of people, all loving the show in totally different ways, or just loving being in the same space together. So yeah, I, I'm trying to think of one, if there's any. Sorry, I've ended up uh, evangelizing, ranting rather. Um, but it was just, it was just all positive. It really was. It really was. Apart from lack of vegan food, it was all very very positive. And LA is not a place where it's hard to find vegan food, of course. But if you're staying out by the airport in a hotel, you're not going to have the same options that you would if you were in one of the trendier parts of town, I should say. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. We went when we, my partner and I, you know, after the convention, went in, in a bit more into Los Angeles, and we found places to eat. That wasn't that wasn't the problem. But no, in, in the convention, it was a bit more. Shall we have a burger? Yes, we don't have any other choice. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm literally nitpicking. It it, it was a. It, like that, that's not galley. That's the uh, that's the that's the hotel. All right. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me this week to talk about galley, and I hope you're planning on coming back next year because I know I am. Maybe not next year, but hopefully the year after that. Looking forward to seeing you. It was great hanging out with you for a little bit um, on the Saturday afternoon, and it was great talking to you about the con here. As always, thank you for joining us on the Trap One Podcast. The executive producer of the Trap One Podcast is Mark, who also edited this episode. You can find him on Twitter, at Quark McMalice. And Adam, where can our followers find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at Adam J. Clegg. Uh, you can also find my own podcast, The Real McCoy, which is a podcast focusing on the 7th Doctor era. We're currently talking about the new adventures. And you can find that on iTunes, or you can follow us on uh, Twitter at real underscore pod. And I am on Twitter at Doctor Who Novels, that's DR Who Novels, and under the hashtag Doctor Who Pilgrimage, that's DR Who Pilgrimage. Please check out my solo podcast, Doctor Who Literature, currently available on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or through my Twitter handle. You can find Trap One on Twitter at Trap One underscore, that's Trap One underscore. And you can find all past episodes on trap1.podbean.com or on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks for listening. Trap One will return with a new panel next week with a new topic of conversation. We hope you'll come back and join them. 
Good night now. 